All right. Hey, everybody. Good evening. Happy Mother's Day. Okay, this is a test. Are you ready for a test? What's this? What's this? Does anybody know what this t-shirt's about? Let's see what you guys know. Nobody? Uh, it's from Route 66. There's a, a gift shop that has the giant jackrabbit outside. And once upon a time, starting like hundreds of miles away, they'd tell you how many miles to the jackrabbit gift shop, right? All those signs are gone now. But then when you arrive at the jackrabbit gift shop, there's a, there's a big sign that says, here it is, right? It has the jackrabbit there. And uh, I've been on vacation with my mom the last week. I took her on a Mother's Day trip and we stopped by there. So I got this shirt. But I also like the shirt because it's kind of a reminder that uh, truth is, is right here. Here it is, right? You know, Jesus said uh, in the Bible about, you know, if people kind of say, lo, it's over there or, you know, or over there, you know, not to listen, not to pay attention because the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is within. And so it kind of reminded me of that too. So this was my souvenir from the, from the last week. Here it is. <laughs> but I'm surprised nobody recognized the jackrabbit. Um, but uh, tonight we have a full hour. And then uh, next week we actually have two full hours. So we have three hours right now, just kind of in a row. Uh, where I think what we're probably going to do with that is go over the code again. And so uh, I guess I guess we're ready to begin. So let me share my screen and we'll kind of jump into the message of the code. What I'll do is I'll read a little, share a little, and then see if there's questions about what I just now shared before going on to the next paragraph. So we're gonna share this uh, a paragraph at a time. Uh, this is a message that came to me on September 30th, 2007. Uh, there apparently was a message that came the day before. And in that message, it referenced the code because you notice my question is, what would you share with us today to help us reach greater clarity on the code mentioned in yesterday's message. Um, and I didn't look that message up, but I think it was just a gentle mention of it the previous day. This is the real teaching of what we call the code. So again, I'm gonna go over it a paragraph at a time, see if there's any questions on that paragraph. When we feel like we have clarity on that paragraph, we will move on. So here we go. The code is ideas. Just as all things within illusion are ideas. The code can be seen as specific manifestations in form, can be felt as feelings, or can be heard as thoughts. The best way to look at the code is as the potential driver of experience. I say it is the potential driver of experience because code will only drive your experience if you fully believe the code. 
Even if you let go of your belief in the code partially, it no longer has full influence over you. The code can only drive your experience to the degree that you believe the code. Now, the word is, and I'll tell you where it came from. It came from the movie, The Matrix. Because remember in The Matrix, uh, the world was an illusion, but it was created by this code. And you may even remember there was uh, that one guy, what was his name? The guy who could read the code that sat there. Who knows his name? Somebody must know his name. Neil? The architect? Uh, no, no, no. There was, no, it wasn't Nima. It wasn't the architect. There was a certain guy, the guy who kind of wished he, well, doesn't matter. Anyway, it was a certain guy that sat there and he would read the code. And, you know, he said that he didn't even see the code anymore because he read it so much. He just saw, you know, buildings, lady in red, but it doesn't matter if you don't know his name. He was one of the characters. But in this one scene, when he was showing Nemo the code, uh, you know, it showed just this green code on the screen that he was watching. And it was that code that actually created the illusion. So uh, that's the symbol that's being used in this message when it talks about the code. It's the symbol from the movie uh, Matrix. But what's really important here is it says that the code is all ideas. Um, and it says that the ideas can show up in different ways. First of all, the code can show up as manifestations. So for example, I'm, I'm holding up my phone right now. Um, this is a manifestation, right? I mean, it's a, it's a hard object, right? Uh, but this would be part of the code. It says it can show up as feelings. So whether I have a feeling of happiness or a feeling of anger or a feeling of guilt, right? That is code. And it also says it can show up as thoughts in the mind. It says that all of this is code. So again, every single manifestation, like right now outside, uh, a whole lot of wind just started, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes ago, it got very, very windy. And as it got very, very windy, it got very, very smoky. The smoke is being blown here from somewhere else, as far as I know. Uh, it got very, very smoky where the mountains disappeared, right? So I can't see the mountains anymore. When I look outside, I only see this smoke. Um, so, so that smoke that I see and that wind that's blowing all this smoke in from somewhere, uh, that's code. And one of the things the first paragraph said is code is potential driver of experience. And the reason it's a potential driver of experience is because it only drives your experience to the degree that you believe the code. Or another way to say that is to the degree that um, you take the code seriously or give value to the code. So for example, um, I could be upset that, you know, this is now, what is it? The 18, 19, 20, 20, fourth summer in a row now where it's been smoky on a regular basis and the mountains aren't as clear as they used to be. Colorado just isn't as beautiful as it used to be, right? I could get upset. That could be my experience, upset about another summer of smoke. If that's the value I give to the manifestation. 
If I don't give that value to the manifestation, uh, if I don't see that as having any effect on me, then it doesn't drive my experience. And so this is true of, you know, we have so many things that are going on now, it seems like. Um, I think the COVID-19 thing is settling down a little bit, as far as we know, but you never know, it could cook back up again, who knows. But certainly that's been a part of the experience in the last couple of years, this pandemic for almost everybody, the first pandemic in our lifetime. There were a few people around 100, it was their second. <laughs> but for most of us, it was the first pandemic in our lifetime. Uh, and then we have this war in the Ukraine where there has been some talk of using nuclear weapons against, uh, against directly against the United States. If we, uh, I don't know, I don't pay that much attention if we get too involved, I guess. Um, we have the global warming situation, which is leading to more storms, more droughts, more forest fires. Uh, lately, there's been this leak, this leak supposedly from the Supreme Court, which seems to say that this Roe versus Wade may be overturned. You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And what this message is saying is that's all code, right? And that code can drive your experience to the degree that you believe the code to the degree that you give that code importance. And by importance, we really mean the importance of reality. And it says the same thing. It says, uh, in addition to manifestation being code, all this stuff that seems to be going on in the world, in addition to that being code, uh, emotions themselves are code. And this is really interesting to me because you know, once upon a time, and I think almost everybody in the world is the way I was once upon a time. Once upon a time, if I felt the emotional feeling of unworthiness, for example, I thought that was proof that I'm unworthy. If I felt the emotion of guilt, I thought that was proof that I am guilty. If I felt anger, proof that there's something was happening that should not be happening. If I felt fear, proof that there is something that needs to be avoided, right? All of these emotions I took as real, almost the way I see it now, I took them as real messengers, right? Messengers of the truth. Guilt is a message of the truth that I'm guilty. Unworthiness, a message, a message of the truth that I'm unworthy, right? Fear, a message of the truth, that there's something to be avoided. You know, they, they were all seen as very real. And to the, but they're just code is what this message says. And they are potential drivers of experience to the degree that I believe them. You know, what's really amazing about this is that this means that uh, the feeling of guilt could show up. You know, I could say something, you know, maybe snap at one of you guys snap at you and the feeling of guilt could show up. And if I believe that that guilt is a, is a message about the truth, the message is that I am guilty, that I have just done something very wrong and I am guilty. Well, then that's going to drive my experience. There's going to be more guilt, right? Who knows? There may be self-hatred. There may be, maybe I'm going to start lying or doing something to try and correct the situation, some type of manipulation or control. 
but it's driving my experience because I believe it. Imagine if I snap at one of you guys, the guilt arises. And I realize everything that just happened was a temporary blip on the screen. All that has to be done is be let go. And then I'm free. It doesn't drive my experience, you see? So what the message is saying is that manifestation, like the smoke outside and uh, emotion like guilt, they're the same. They only drive my experience to the degree that I believe them. If I don't believe them, they have no effect on me. And then it goes on to say, and this is also true of thought, right? The thoughts that come into my mind will have an effect on me to the degree that I believe them, but they are just code. You know, I remember when I really understood this, because it took me a while to understand this stuff in a genuine way. But when I really understood this, I finally understood what uh, the Course in Miracles meant when it said, you think you think, right? You think you think. We think we're thinking when really all that's happening is code is showing up in the mind and we're either believing it or not believing it, but we're not thinking. You know, it kind of reminds me now more of like a, a teleprompter. It's a teleprompter. And if this thought shows up in my mind, you know, this shouldn't be this way. And I give my belief to that thought, this shouldn't be this way. Uh, that is going to drive my experience. But if I see it as just code, just something that's showing up as a part of the illusion, and I don't give it the value of reality, it has no effect on me. In fact, what this message of the code is really pointing to is that nothing can have an effect on me. It can only have an apparent effect. And that's coming from my belief in the code. So let me read this first paragraph again, and then we'll look and see if you guys have questions. First of all, I guess we'll see if there's a, a comment that still needs to be made that I forgot to make, uh, but then we'll see if you have questions. And if not, we will move on to the next paragraph. So it says, the code is ideas, just as all things within illusion are ideas. The code can be seen as specific manifestations in form can be felt as feelings or can be heard as thoughts. The best way to look at the code is as the potential driver of experience. I say it is the potential driver of experience because code will only drive your experience if you fully believe the code. Even if you let go of your belief in the code partially, it, it no longer has full influence over you. The code can only drive your experience to the degree that you believe 
the code. So I'm going to pause and see if anybody has any questions about this before we go to the next paragraph. Okay, um, Connie. And, and Regina, I would assume that, that, that that's part of the reason that um, forgiveness is so, is so important because forgiveness is not um, giving value, giving the code the value of reality. Exactly. That's exactly what forgiveness is. And that's why it's so important. In fact, the course says it's your only function here. Right. Any other questions or comments? Oh, sorry, you in. Sorry, for some reason, your little yellow hand didn't stand out to me. Go ahead. So can you replace belief with faith? Just because the uh, you know the difference between you commented before you say yes. belief is nothing so yeah. if so if i it sounds like if i have faith on what i see it will work so you seems like using in this case interchangeably yeah well and let me go back and define uh redefine the way i use the words belief and faith and again um these aren't consistent everywhere and everything you read so uh so just be aware of that um but when you believe something uh you think it's true without questioning without investigation right so that's belief and then you just act as if it's true so believing the code would be an example believing that this feeling of guilt means i am guilty Right, that's a belief. There was no questioning. There was no looking. Um, faith, for me, uh, faith is putting faith in the teachings to the degree that I then follow the teachings, even if I do not yet have personal proof or personal direct experience. So, for example, what we'll find as I as I talk about the code. Uh, I put faith in the message of the code. When this came up for me, when the code came, what was happening, this was in that period of, of my purification process where uh, Laurent came and lived with me. And when he first came, the experience that I had was hate. I mean, just pure hatred. I hated everything about this guy. Um, and... Uh, when the code came, specifically what it was teaching me to do first was to let go of hate. And uh, boy, that wind is really, you should, it almost sounds like my house is shaking. So it was a little distracting for a second. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You can't even hardly see the tree across the street now. It's really, really something out there. Um, so faith uh, is, is trusting the teachings enough that when what comes up in my experience as proof that this person deserves to be hated, right? <laughs> faith is having enough faith. Wait a minute. This teaching has said that I am just believing ideas. And if I believe these ideas, I will have this experience, but I do not have to be affected by in effect, anything I see, anything I feel or any thought I receive. And I'm going to have enough faith 
in this teaching that when this thought shows up, boom, that I should, you know, hate this guy because I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, wait a minute, this is a hate thought. If I believe this thought, I will have the experience of hate. I know I don't want the experience of hate. And so I'm going to let it go. And in fact, what happened for me was I used that kind of faith to practice this message to the point that um, not only did the hate go away, uh, but I call it the belief in hate. I came to see that hate is not natural. Hate has to be made. It has to be made by, you know, believing a thought, believing a perception that if we don't believe the thought, believe the perception, hate isn't here, right? It doesn't exist. It, it doesn't have what's here is an open contentment, happiness, acceptance, all is wellness, right? That's what's natural to hate someone or to be angry at someone or to be jealous or to feel guilty or to feel unworthy or to be afraid. These things are all made by believing the code. But again, it was the faith that led me to practice the message. Does that answer your question, Yuen? Uh, sort of. I, I also want to know, can code be something like the teachings of NTI? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And that take kind of goes back to what we talked about in the early weeks of clarifying the teachings that uh, both wrong-minded ideas and right-minded ideas come into the fourth principle of God. Neither is true, right? Neither is reality. It's just that one points to the illusion as if it's truth, and the other one is pointing away back towards truth. But they would both be code. Does that help? I, I guess I just want to uh, kind of reconcile when you say belief is nothing, but why you keep talking about belief. Yeah. We lose belief a lot. So, so I was, I, I know you use it for different, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Again, the way I use believe is that it's, it's just believing something without questioning it or investigating it or checking to see if it's true. Right. It, so there's a blindness in it. Right. There's a, there's a blindness in it. There's no investigation in it. And again, that's just my definition of the word. But I remember um, David Fishman used to always point out B-L-B-E-L-I-E-V-E -E -E, that right in the middle of the word believe is the word lie. See, it's B-E and then L-I-E, lie, and then V-E. So I'm not the only one that interprets the word that way. Yeah. All right, Anish. Regina, with respect to emotions being part of the code, I understand that, you know, with fear and sadness and hate or the negative emotions, but how do I, how do I work with the happiness, the contentment, the satisfaction? Yeah, uh, eventually uh, this happens, I think, for everyone. Those things cease to be seen as emotions because they're natural. So, so that also gets reinterpreted. In other words, 
the happiness, the contentment, the all is well, that's what's here if there isn't something else covering it up. So that is no longer defined as an emotion. Um, when it appears to be an emotion is when it's conditional. That's when I would call it an emotion. So if I can only be happy, if that damn wind quits blowing and there's not so much smoke, you know, and then I'm happy because now we have a clear day, well, then that's not true happiness because it's conditional. But, but the happiness that is unconditional, the all is well sense that is unconditional, the contentment that is unconditional is not an emotion. It's natural beingness. It's our natural state. Perfect. So once we stop believing the code, what remains is what you're alluding to. Yes. Thank yeah, you. exactly. Thank you. All right, Lena. Uh, hello, Regina. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I would add to the first speaker. She said uh, that the uh, forgiveness is helpful. I would add the acceptance and surrender. Yes. As well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Those are the things that are those are the things that are leading us away from believing the code, forgiveness, acceptance, surrender, right? These are the practices that lead us away from the belief. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else before we go to the next paragraph? It's funny, I shouted at the wind a second ago. I was just playing with you guys, but I must have scared it because it stopped. <laughs> Now, and I, and I can see the tree across the street again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's move back to the second paragraph then and let's see what it has for us. The code comes from you. All of you as you perceive yourself now, but that is you. The code that most directly influences you in the experience as an individual is the code that most directly comes from you. But all code influences upon each other so that no true separation in code can be determined. It is really important to accept that there is no separation and this is always true and always reflected within the code. So I'm gonna pull up the four principles of God, which of course we went over several weeks ago. The code is experienced in the fourth principle of God, which we said is manifestation, dream, illusion. This is where the experience of being a person in a world is. This is where thought is. This is where emotion is, right? The code comes from the third principle of God, the creative process, which we also call mind. Um, this in the fourth principle of God, there's an apparent separation, right? For example, there's me and there's you, two, two people, an apparent separation. In the third principle of God, even that no longer exists. So in the third principle of God, there is no separation at all. And this is where all code gets created. So for example, and, and this really is just an example. I don't think we can speak 
what's really going on here. But you know, all these symbols are, are helpful. But let's imagine that I am uh, very upset at this, quote, Supreme Court leak. Uh, I'm upset because I want women to have freedom of choice. Um, someone else that I know is very, very happy uh, because this person has always thought abortion should be illegal and now sees the opportunity that there may be, you know, in the next couple of years, there may be a nationwide ban against abortion. So it appears that we are two different people seeing the world in two different ways. But what we are both doing is we are both focusing on the world as if it's real, this issue as if it matters, conflict as if it matters, the idea that there's a right side and that there's a wrong side and, and who knows whatever else is going in that, that we're actually both doing. And that energy goes up into the creative process. I say goes up into, but that even that's an illusion because it's all happening here as one focus on the world and continues to create uh, issues, different sides, different points of view, conflict, so that someday it's a completely different issue. It has nothing to do with Roe versus Wade or abortion. It's something completely different, but in, in one person's mind, thoughts come in of one side and one point of view, and in another person's mind, thoughts come in of the other side and the other point of view, and the world just keeps going. So you see, we think that when I'm believing a certain side of, of any, right, uh, you know, typically we think we're right. We think we are trying to improve the world by believing this, maybe even by going out there and picketing, pro, you know, protesting in some way. Um, but what we are doing, regardless of which side we're on, that's the funny thing is we're doing the same thing, is we're continuing the creation of issues, continuing the creation of sides, continuing the creation of conflict. And we're doing this as one. Right? We're doing this as one. In other words, you could say you are either believing the world or you're not. There isn't an in-between. There isn't a right side to an issue. In fact, I love what Robert Adams once said, as he said, all points of view are wrong points of views. And the reason he meant wrong is, is because they're believing in the world. They're continuing the creation of the code of the world and all of the problems that come with that. So that's one thing that this paragraph is saying. It's really saying two things, but one thing that it's saying is that this code comes from what appears to be all of you all of you believing and being involved with your different points of view and you know and and you thinking you're right and you thinking you're right but, but you're all doing the same thing and you're all continuing the world 
right? But what it also points to this last paragraph is back in the experience of the fourth principle of God, where you appear to be a person, the individual experience of the Supreme Court decision or uh, global warming or the barking dog next door, your personal experience is also going to come from what you are believing right now. So it's true. You could say this is true at a macro level and at a micro level. So on a micro level, on the level of individual person, you aren't actually creating anything. That happens at the, the macro level, at the level of the whole. That's what creates the continuing illusion. But you are interpreting or perceiving with an interpretation. And that's going to affect your current experience, whether you are you know, upset, angry, feeling righteous, feeling better than, feeling less than. So it's almost like we're affected in two ways by believing the code. First of all, we're just creating more of the same more of the same. The world continues to go through its different cycles uh, because we continue to create more of the same. And then the individual interpretation of what is being created is causing your experience of yourself as a person and the world as a world. So, um, you know, if you'll pardon the words, what this is really saying is there's nobody to blame here for anything that you experience except yourself. And remember, this was talking to me specifically when I was feeling uh, that this other person was doing all of these things wrong and I was feeling all of this hate and I thought all of my hate was righteous. Um, but it's saying this experience of hate is only coming from me. And that the only one that can let go of this experience of hate and have a different experience, one of peace, contentment, joy, love, is me, right? Another thing this really says, even though it, it doesn't say it directly, but I certainly came to see it this way, is that every single thing that's happening in the world is perfect. It's perfect because it's a perfect manifestation of what all of us are believing, where we're putting our attention, you know, what we're raising our fist about, right? All of that is coming together and creating exactly this. So it's a, it's a perfect reflection of what we are doing with our believing attention. So no matter how imperfect it appears, you know, forest fires and tornadoes and hurricanes and, and, you know, pandemics and, you know, everything that's going on, right? No matter how imperfect it appears, because it's not what we quote want, it's absolutely perfect of where we're placing our attention. It's a perfect reflection. So let me read the paragraph again and see if there's anything else I need to share. And then we'll see what your questions are. So the code comes from you, 
all of you as you perceive yourself now, and this would be at the third principle of God level, but that is you. We are that creative process. That is what we are. The code that most directly influences you in the experience as an individual, so now this is pointed at the fourth principle of God, is the code that most directly comes from you, where I'm placing my attention. But all code influences upon each other because it all goes you know, back up to that third principle level. All code influences upon each other so that no true separation in code can be determined. It is really important to accept that there is no separation. And this is always true and always reflected within the code. So, you know, one of the things uh, that as far as I know, hasn't been as hot as it once was, but used to be very, very hot and heavy was uh, school shootings. I, I, I don't know if I just have missed them lately or if they're not getting reported as much or what's going on. But as you guys remember, used to be in the, in the front of the news, right? School shootings all the time. And I remember that people used to always blame the person or persons with the gun. This is saying you can't do that. Because every one of those thoughts that came into that person's mind, that that person really innocently or ignorantly gave attention to, every one of those thoughts were code. And who created that code? We did. From all of the ways that we place all of our attention all of the time. So you can't point at that guy and say, he did this. And in fact, if you do that, you're actually just continuing the same believing attention that continues to create the same kind of code and the same kind of problems. This is something we're all in together and we're all doing together. So I'll pause here and see if we have questions before we move on or comments. All right, Lena. Uh, Regina, that was awesome. Um, you shared uh, the quote uh, from Adam, you said uh, that uh, if two opinions uh, that uh, they are both of wrong. So how can you uh, thank you. How can you explain uh, what to do if uh, you, for example, I have an opinion and, yeah. uh, uh, and um, okay, I understand when uh, I'm not sure, but uh, for example, if I'm completely sure, no, for example, my child is incorrect, uh, or I know that uh, my husband is, uh, um, of course, sometimes I'm wrong, but for example, when it's obvious that something is wrong, how can I express my opinion? Yeah, well, that's, that's very, very interesting. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can find something in NTI and take you to it. Uh, I think it's in NTI Luke chapter six. Let me see if I'm right. Um, I'll show you exactly how I was trained from inner wisdom. Okay, yes, so let me share my screen. I did find it, thank goodness I remembered where it was. So this is from NTI, the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the New Testament, Luke chapter six. 
um, it says the ego mind is itself a seeming split apart from the Christ mind, which is one. In other words, the thoughts that come into an individual mind, which are code, there are certain thoughts that are coming into this mind that are not going into the husband's mind, right? The husband is getting a different set of thoughts that he's believing. I'm getting a set of thoughts that I'm believing. So it appears that there's something separate going on here. So the ego mind itself is a seeming split apart from the Christ mind, which is one. Since the ego mind is a split or fraction, its perspective or viewpoint is not whole. Since it is not whole, it is not knowledge, which is why it interprets. The ego mind is not aware that it interprets. It believes it knows. This is why ego minds seems to conflict. Each one merely interprets without knowledge, but mistakes its interpretation for knowledge. So what this is saying that the thoughts that are coming into my mind, you know, and I think I'm right. I think these thoughts are right. I think I'm right. I think that clearly that is wrong, whatever that is out there. And if we use the husband as an example, he's got thoughts coming into his mind. He has the exact same point of view that his thoughts are correct, that this is what's right. And clearly you're wrong, right? In other words, again, we are both doing the exact same thing. We are both believing that our thoughts are right, that our thoughts are truth, that our thoughts are knowledge, but they're not. In fact, this says one way you can tell it's not knowledge is that knowledge cannot conflict for its whole. So if we were seen with truth, one evidence that it's truth is there couldn't even be a conflict. So if I can, if I can disagree with anybody on anything, I'm an ego. Your daughter is whoops, that's amazing to me. You know, if I can disagree with anybody on anything, I'm an ego. So knowledge cannot conflict for it is whole. And then it says interpretation can't really conflict since it's not knowledge. In other words, we're not really conflicting. Uh, we're just each believing our own thing. Kind of reminds me of Jesus saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. This isn't a true conflict. This is just both of us blindly, ignorantly believing our thoughts are true. It says it can only seem to conflict. But that's a conflict of illusions or unreality, which really isn't a conflict at all. It goes on to say, everything you see and experience, you see and experience through the filter of your own mind. In order to find peace, which really is, by the way, knowledge, in order to find peace, one must abandon interpretation and remember knowledge. This is the process of learning that I lead you through. You are learning that you do not know. You interpret. This enables you to step back from conflict and knowing that your interpretation is nothing, let your interpretation grow, go. As interpretation is released, knowledge can be given. And now look at the next sentence. Knowledge is peace. Knowledge isn't knowing I'm right 
about whether a house should be clean or not clean. I know I'm right. Houses should be clean, right? I mean, I know I'm right. He's wrong. Houses should not be messy, <laughs> right? No, that's not knowledge. That's an interpretation. That's believing code. Knowledge is peace. When I'm at peace, I have knowledge. The knowledge is that I'm not affected by anything. The knowledge is what I am. Knowledge is peace. Since knowledge has no conflict, because it is whole and it is truth. Everything you see and experience, you see and experience through the filter of your own mind. This is good news. For what you see and experience witnesses to the interpretation that you believe is knowledge. Upon seeing it and knowing that it is not knowledge because it is not peace. If I am not at peace, I am not in knowledge. I am in interpretation. Upon seeing it and knowing that it is not knowledge because it is not peace, you can choose to step back and let your false interpretation go. It says you may see your brother's error, which is his false interpretation that he mistakes for knowledge. I tell you, as long as you believe your interpretation, you do not have knowledge. Therefore, you cannot lead your brother to let go of his interpretation, for only knowledge can see clearly to lead mistakes to healing. Whatever you see in your brother, bring back to your interpretation that you may give it up and be healed. Now, the next couple of paragraphs tell us exactly what to do when we find ourselves in some type of conflict, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a news story, whatever. It says, you will speak from your interpretation as long as you believe your interpretation. And there's that word believe again. See, again, this is not questioning, not looking at, right? Just believing. You will speak from your interpretation as long as you believe your interpretation. So when you recognize that you have an interpretation, listen to this, it would be wise not to speak. Do not fight for an interpretation that is meaningless, for meaninglessness brings you nothing. So this is what I was taught, and this is what I practiced out of faith. If I noticed, because of course I think I'm right, everybody does. Everybody thinks they're right. So if I notice that I think I'm right and I'm disagreeing with somebody on something, but then I notice it and I remember this teaching, I shut up. I just stop. That's what this is telling me to do. And that's what I did. It would be wise not to speak. Just stop right then. Because what you're doing is the same thing that person is doing. You're believing thoughts in the mind, which are just code. It says, when you notice that you have an interpretation, take a break from what you see. Seek quiet time with me, meaning inner wisdom, and share your interpretation with me. It's okay to tell inner wisdom. I just cannot stand what a slob this guy is. You know, he, every time he does blah, 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 it's okay to tell inner wisdom that. But then notice what it says. It says, but do not share your interpretation as if you must be right. Expecting me to support you and lead you in the righteousness of your way. Share your interpretation, expecting that you are wrong. This is the same thing Robert Adams said. Every point of view is a wrong point of view. 
share your interpretation expecting that you are wrong because you have seen and believed without knowledge. In such humility, you can let go of your interpretation. You will see that it is nothing of value to you. And what you receive in its place, you will extend, meaning peace. And that which you share shall be peace and restfulness. So what happened for me in this, in this right here is I would be in, again, some conflicted situation, whether I'm conflicted about what's happening on the news or conflicted with a different person. I fully accepted that if I'm conflicted in any way, if I'm upset in any way, I'm wrong. I accepted that in faith. Then I would go to inner wisdom through what I call journaling. I would share my point of view if I needed to, to get it out onto paper. You know, I'd tell the story just like I see it. Here's what I'm believing. Here's what I think's wrong. Here's what I think shouldn't be. Here's where I think I'm right. And then I would say, now, what do you want to share with me? about this. And at that point, I would jump out of thinking I'm right into knowing I'm wrong, knowing there's something in my mind that inner wisdom is going to reveal to me so that I could let go of it and therefore be closer to truth. And, and I would continue writing and inner wisdom would point out to me every time what my mistake was, what I was believing. So a part of the, the problem with the question is, you know, how do you share that point of view when you know you're right? And what this is saying is you're never right. You're never right. You're just believing code. Sure, these are the thoughts from your point of view because this is the code that's coming into your individual experience. But if you were over there in that person, Seeing their thoughts, that's what you'd be believing and you'd think they were right. But everybody's wrong. Because everybody's just believing code. All right, Inka. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful answer. Thank you. Um, hi, Regina. I, I follow, I, I, under, I accept and I believe what you're, I have faith in what, what the process. I'm not going to judge your words, Inka. Go right ahead. Uh, I, I, well, uh, my, my, what I don't know how to think about or how to handle or give myself peace is around, uh, for example, war in the, in, in the Ukraine, yes. in, in Europe, um, and the issue around. So, so I obviously... I don't need to worry about whether I can have an abortion or not. I mean, that story has come and gone. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, uh, my daughter has come and gone, but the next generation, there is, there's, there is a, a need that I see, and maybe that's my answer to, um, how do I get, how do I get, comfortable isn't the right word, but, how do I think about that? Yeah, I understand. I think I understand. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Let me share. Let me share the answer. And it's a, it, for some people, this will be a very tough pill to swallow. So I know that as I share it, um, I'm going to share my screen again. 
And I am going to go back to the four principles of God. Um, assuming one is called to awakening, what you need to remember is that the goal is awakening. The goal is not anything in the fourth principle of God. Nothing. It, not anything in the fourth principle of God. The goal is to awaken up to at least the third principle and start seeing yourself as the creative process and start making choices as the creative process, not to manipulate the fourth principle, but in order to be free of belief in the fourth principle, and then to awaken to the second principle and to realize yourself as just that unaffected formless presence. And then to awaken to the first principle, to believe, to see yourself even beyond that. This is what I often call spiritual aspiration. You've heard me teach yep. this spiritual aspiration or spiritual purpose must be first in all circumstances. As soon as I start thinking about, but it's really important that women can have an abortion or it's really important that people can't kill unborn babies. It doesn't matter. I'm staying right here in the fourth principle. I'm not moving up. So the only way that I could find, and I mean this with all sincerity, the only way that I could find to lay down the code that came into this mind and appeared to be the right point of view <laughs> was to want to awaken to truth. If I, if I didn't keep that out in front, I would get caught up over and 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 over. And, over and, and it's not going to end. You understand? over and 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 over again, because there's always going to be something to be caught up in. So it's a matter of re remembering that all of this is illusion. All of this is not truth. My goal is to not get caught up in this and to aim high. And in fact, you know, uh, Ramana Maharshi said something about, and I can't quote him exactly, but he said something about, you know, you must let go of believing the world, because if you don't, your mind will continue to go after it. That's what I'm talking about. Does that answer your question? Very much so. I, yeah. I, I had forgotten in the yeah. moment. Yes. Aspiration to it's so easy to be down here running in the hamster wheel. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank, Thank you. So you. Much. Thank you. Anish. Krishna, we have a couple of minutes for another question, right? Yes, and you're good at keeping it short, so go for it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so if I make awakening my only goal in life, like you said a minute ago, right? That's the only thing you need to do. Can I justify knowingly believing in some bits of code for assistance, meaning like having a job or like, you know, taking care of the body, so to speak, or if I just be very hardcore, and just go for the awakening bit, the code will adjust by itself and things will just work out. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, one thing Ramana Maharshi also said was that the body will do what the body is to do. And, you know, at a lower level, you know, that doesn't seem true. It seems like the body needs me to have this opinion to get this done. Uh, but as you start genuinely letting go of all this stuff, you will find that whatever role this body is to play, it will continue to play it. You don't, as crazy as this sounds, you don't have to be a part of it. 
you can remain completely focused on just being in acceptance, being in love, being in self-inquiry, and everything else will take care of itself. And to, to other people, you may look like, well, you know, apparently this person really cares about having a job because he works 14 hour days and blah, blah, blah. When you know inside yourself, this is just what this is doing. This is just what this body is doing, right? This body apparently is supposed to work these 14 hour days, you know, because it is. Uh, so this is something that you can't see from the outside, but you most definitely can feel or know the difference from the inside between when you are attached and when you aren't. There's just no, no question whatsoever when you're coming from self-honesty. Now, it's funny because I said we were going to go over the code for three hours and we've made it through two paragraphs. So maybe we'll be doing this for 18 hours. I don't know. But, but, um, but I think it's important and I'm willing to spend the rest of the year here if that's what we end up doing. So we will continue next week doing exactly what we're doing now. I will read the first two paragraphs next week just to get us back in the groove. And then we'll begin with the third paragraph and we'll move forward looking at one paragraph at a time and discussing it. And really, as long as this takes is fine with me. Okay, because it's important. So I'll see you all next week for a special two hour session, whether we finish it or not. <laughs> all right. Bye.